Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined this week by perhaps our two favorite guests. It could be Lisa Schmeiser is here. Uh, Lisa, hello. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. I love this podcast. I We love having you here, and I'm glad you like the podcast, too. Uh, Carolina Milanese is also here. Uh, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, If you hear that, that trepidation in our voice, it's because we know that it's about to be CES, Consumer, Consumer Electronics Show. We'll probably talk about that all next week, but not this week. We're going to talk about some other stuff. Thank you. Uh, and so this, a little respite before the hail of pr- mm-hmm. uh, products and controversies and topics that come out of CES in Las Vegas. Um, but until then, the most interesting stories of this week, as chosen by me, and download producer Stephen Hackett, who is not here because he's under the weather. But he did, he put in the work to help me compile the stories, mm-hmm. and now he rests until next week, where we'll make him get out of <laughs> Sounds bed. Sounds so ominous. And now he and rests. And now he rests. Blood <laughs> fills the streets. No, 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 no. I, I don't want to put that. Until he sound the gong and summon him. <laughs> That's right. He will be, yes. Maybe there'll be, there'll be a twist later in the podcast where Stephen appears to stop us from whatever we've done. I had to get out of bed for this. Anyway, uh, first topic. Uh, it's, the, it's a big one. The Register this week reported that there is a design flaw inherent to uh, a lot of different processors. There's a specific pro- uh, one inherent in the Intel processors. Allows access to kernel memory from applications that would otherwise not have access to the contents of memory. In the days since it's come out, ARM and AMD CPUs are also suffering from related security issues. Uh, this all has to do with speculative processing, which is a thing that uh, has been around for a long time in order to make processors uh, work faster. Google, Microsoft, Mozilla, a whole bunch of other uh, OS vendors and software vendors working to pa- patch their products from attacks that use this vulnerability, especially if you've got it in a browser, because then a browser-based attack can read your memory over the internet. That seems like a major vector. Microsoft has pushed an update for Windows 10 and older versions of its OS. Apple already, apparently, the current version of Mac OS, High Sierra, contains some work on this and that there's a forthcoming version that contains some more. Uh, I haven't heard anything about iOS stuff. Google is patching Android. Um, this is the latest in a series of security issues. And this is a this is kind of a huge one that, that especially it seems like on the server side is going to be with us for a, a very long time. Um, I have, a, I have a lot of questions for both of you about this, but I want to start with Intel. Intel stock took a hit this week. Like, it sounds like the initial reports were that this was really bad for Intel, and now it sounds it's really bad for, for everyone. Um, how bad is this for Intel? Like, uh, you know, does this, uh, what do they do? I mean, they're not alone here, and yet I feel like they're getting the brunt of this right now. Well, their stock rebounded today because That's now good. you have, you have a lot of people who are like, well, since Intel's <laughs> going to have, <laughs> yeah. No, because they're like, well, now Intel has to sell more chips to make up for its flawed chips. So sales are a good thing. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's a it's a it's the silver lining approach, I suppose. Oh boy, yeah. Other other than if there's a warranty and they have to replace processors for free, but right, otherwise it's an opportunity for new processors that don't have a flaw. And you know, I think maybe Intel is getting most of it precisely because it's the biggest name. And the most recognizable, I mean, AMD can be like, we're number two. Um, but it should be noted that um, 
AMD and um, is also affected by this. Like this is this is something fundamental to the chip architecture, right? Anything that uses speculative uh, processing seems to be affected in some way or other. There are two yeah. different two different bugs, one of which affects Intel directly, and the other yeah. of which affects everybody. Affects, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so that was it. Um, the thing that I think is interesting about the way this is reported is you had a, a like, or rather the way I watched this move through the news cycle yesterday and today is yesterday you've had a lot of um, IT pros and IT pro type pundits. Oh, this is security Armageddon. This is the Y2K bug only 18 years late. I can't overstate how this is going to affect computing. And a lot of the, the second day takes are, are, are now like, okay, okay, we, we may have overstated things a bit. Things will slow down, but this is probably recoverable. <laughs> I think it's an interesting opportunity for us to take a look at the fact that security is multifaceted. We're used to thinking of it in terms of faulty software or faulty operating systems, you know, Patch Tuesday, Microsoft, and every, every month or something. Um, or we're used to thinking of it in terms of human behavior and um, bad passwords, but to take a look at the flaws inherent in hardware and how they can be used, like that's a whole different uh, set of security risks that people are going to have to become educated on. And unlike software, which can be easily for a given value of easy, easily updated with patches or things that are pushed out directly from the vendor, um, it is much much harder to address uh, to address a flaw in hardware, you, you know, because that that's actual physical components and actual swapping them out, and that's something that consumers are perhaps not going to be prepared to do, as opposed to simply clicking the update button on App Store. And even that, I think, uh, first of all, I, I thought the the two names that were chosen to talk about this uh, bags of flaws were perfect, mm-hmm. especially meltdown, because it seemed like from a PR perspective, it was mm-hmm. a meltdown, right? The the whole is Intel and then Intel going out and say, well, it's not just us. So they felt a little bit better. But I want to go back to actually one of the the core, in my view, points of this is that we just find out about this today, but they have known for a while. Right. And so that's the part where, you know, if you're getting upset with Apple for, you know, what they've done with the battery, man, this is a bit bigger, right? In the whole scheme of things, as far as knowing there is an issue and not talking about it and not, you know, not sure what they've done in the meantime, but um, not making people aware of this. And it's not the first time, right? We've had this before with data breaches from company like Yahoo, where, you know, things happen and then you find out six months later that your credit card information was taken or whatnot. Um, you know, those are the kind of things that uh, I think consumers who I totally agree with Lisa, you know, are not security expert, don't do most of the things that uh, common sense would tell them to to do. Um, but things that consumers will start wondering, you know, is there malice here? What What is going on? Why are they not addressing it? Well, I mean, one of the challenges with security is if 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 it's it's if it's found out and not widely known by 
presumably by bad actors. One of the things that does happen is that they all work to all the software vendors work to roll out their fixes before they make it public because then right. nobody can can use it as an attack. And it sounds like that actually happened where there was a everybody was going to release on January 8th, but then the story broke. So things are kind of trickling out. Apple already had rolled out an update. I think Microsoft was in the process of rolling out an update. I think Google was rolling out their updates. And on New Year's Eve, I saw somebody on Twitter post a zero day, which is what the, the, the phrase is for a bug that nobody knew about before it was released. Uh, there was a uh, an Apple-related zero day that was posted on New Year's Eve. And it's one of those things where that is immediately available to the bad guys. The bad and, guys. Yeah. And there's somebody at Apple who was at a New Year's Eve party who is basically gets a text and says, you're going to be at work for the next three days until this gets addressed, which is not not that great. So at least for something with this kind of scope, it sounds like also, I mean, we, we haven't even, uh, a lot of us think about our computers, right? But it's all the stuff in the cloud is affected by this too. And it sounds like, yeah. it sounds like all the cloud, all the server providers have like, uh, mysterious mandatory reboots of their servers coming in the next few days. Well, now we know this is what they were working on. So they've all been working on this stuff. I mean, the whole internet relies on the servers, uh, the servers in the cloud, right? And that, to me, that seems like the scariest part of this is that you've got, fortunately, so many servers are virtualized running by, uh, and they're running by uh, huge companies are putting them out there and like like amazon and so amazon's going to be diligent i would imagine there when they say we're going to be living with this for a decade it seems to be that it's going to be you know it's a huge flaw and there's always going to be unfixed systems floating around there where some scrap of data that's important is going to be there and it's going to be exploited well this is what happened with uh and of course, now uh, WannaCry, for example, is the reason that was so devastating last year. Was it was all these older systems That's where right. where for reasons either um, either update either software wouldn't work with system updates, or people simply didn't have the budget. You had all of these systems that were that had not been upgraded or secured in quite some time, and um, I think what a lot of people tend to forget is we don't have a homogenous computing environment where everybody mm. has the same version number of every type of software and everybody has hardware that's the same age. You were talking about a global computing system where you have machines that can be decades old that are talking to machines that were just rolled off the line and this this tremendous patchwork of software that is all ages and all dates. And the big challenge is how do you keep this system, which is full of all sorts of, of, of moving parts working and keep it secure? And the answer is you really can't. All you can do is just kind of play defense. And I think this is a big, in my view, concern for where we're going next, right? Where everything is going to be connected. Yeah. Everything mm. is going to have some level of computing power, you know, from your car to your oven. And uh, um a lot of these things have a very long life cycle and, you know, a lot of times, especially with appliances in the home, um, you're not used to to maintenance of software on these things, you know, and, and who will be the the gatekeeper or, you know, the, the where is the onerous task of making sure that they're running the latest patch is going to fall. Is it a consumer? I doubt it. Because, you know, look at how bad we still are at, uh, you know, even 
even when they tell you it's a critical update that you need to do in your PC. Most people don't do it just because it's a pain. Yeah. Or they, or um, I have a security professional I edit where her attitude to, towards most, most patches is I don't install them until after they've been out for a while because I want to see what it will break first. Right. And um, this is a security person where, her, where again, her first, her first impulse is to say, no, don't patch because she wants to see what will break. And all it's going to take is in a, a smart fridge company where they push out what they think is a security update that breaks a lot of people's $5,000 refrigerators. And the PR smear on that is going to be just incalculable. And um, I'm not, we haven't even gotten into what the legal implications are going to be when it comes to security and liability for things like smart appliances right. or or cars, um, you know, or public transit or anything like that. We, we have yet to get to a point where people are being held or where companies or people are being held responsible for security breaches. And I think that is something that's going to change once the price tag from these losses gets big enough. Somebody's going to want to look for, for a way to reliably point a finger and recoup funds. And so you're going to start seeing legislation rolling through in the next 10 years. I, I like what, what Lisa pointed out earlier about how, Initial response to this was, uh, oh, panic, hair on fire, end of the world. And then everybody kind of like calmed down the next day. And I get that some of that is trying to make people understand the severity of this and the potential for uh, for uh, dif- difficulty over the long term. And that a lot of these things can't be solved with uh, easily with just a, a software patch necessarily because there's fundamental issues in the hardware. I, I get all of that. Um, so so uh, it's important, but maybe potentially people freaking out a little bit more than they needed to. But I have to admit... This story made me think that this is not going to stop and that it and that we are so reliant on this kind of technology, as you said, Lisa, sort of everywhere now. And I, you know, I now believe that it's entirely possible that huge segments of our society are going to break like end of the world style, not quite end of the world, but kind of like that. Um, because I'd look at the utility like sector. I'd look yeah. at the utility sectors because we've already established that there are security problems there when it comes to software and network access. Well, what about the hardware all this stuff is running on? And then you look at municipal IT budgets, they're not huge. And yeah. a, a lot of the times they're on five to 10 year replacement cycles. So, Jason, I think your fear is not entirely unfounded. And, um, what I'm curious about, you're talking about the, you know, a serious doomsday type, well, not doomsday, I guess, what is, what is the level below doomsday? Um, a discomfort, like, discomfort day. It's a mild, it's yeah. a discomfort day. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say inconvenience day. But you know, what I'm curious about is, if we're going to see anybody, um, either a particularly well informed citizen or any sort of tech advocacy group, start pushing, um, local governments and utility agencies and school systems and hospitals and say, all right, what is the state of your security? What is the state of your infrastructure? And start treating that like, like what it is, which is basic, which is, um, you know, a, a practically a utility at this point. I mean, we get really worked up about the roads when they, when they're filled with potholes and they're poorly maintained. We get really worked up about power lines. We get really mm. worked up about plumbing. And at this point, you have what is essentially a digital infrastructure that's, that's rooted in real world components. And perhaps what we need to do is start making it a civic priority to get worked up over that too. You know, <laughs> um, 
It's lunacy. Yeah. This is a tech podcast, and I don't want to sound like a Luddite here, but I, I have to. I, I think it was worth saying. Um, there, there are key things about our our society and our infrastructure that we should really think carefully before making you know off the shelf uh, consumerish uh, computer hardware and software part of the process. And that I, I feel like in some cases we've gone too far there. And that that's not to say that I don't love technology. I love technology, but the standard we have for security and reliability in consumer technology is not high enough for things that are critical to our lives. It's not oh, no, good I enough. Abs- I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And I wonder if this comes down to the way computers were treated for so long. Um, you know, as this sort of um, society of esoteric knowledge and and then they were treated as a high-end luxury good. And um, they've sort of slid to, again, toaster status without people realizing that, um, you know, you can replace a toaster and your power grid won't go down. But, yeah. um, hopefully, hopefully, unless yeah. you, you put yeah. all the toasters down at one time and then you never yeah. know what might happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing I was thinking about with between this and the news about, you know, Apple and, the, oh, we're sorry about slowing down your phone. Yeah, we'll is, get there. Um, <laughs> You know, it seems like we are setting the stage for people to have a profound distrust of the hardware that they're buying from companies because they can't rely on it to work quickly, they can't rely on it to be secure, and they can't rely on the companies to have any accountability or to do the right thing by their consumer unless something happens in the press that looks bad for them. And and this is another case, too, where although we can sit here as tech professionals and go, yes, for six months, people have been working on this fix, the reason they're scrambling now is because a story got blown before they're, they're quiet. Whoops, we fixed that. Um, Ploy took out. But the way it's going to read to a lot of people was these companies knew about that and they weren't doing things fast enough to fix it. And oh my God, what were the, what else are they not telling us? Like there's going to be a huge gap between industry practice and public perception. But that was was my point about, you know, now that we know it's been, uh, they've been working on it and it's been a while and then what people are going to think about it. But you would think that part of that is just pure PR, you know, similar to the, the um, you know, the Apple case where they should have come up with a better story. You know, they should have come up with informations, information that is useful and clear and does a good job in balancing, you know, getting people to realize the risk that we're running nowadays without getting people in a panic, right? And that's the part that I didn't get that seemed like they really, you know, were caught with their pants down and they had to scramble in trying to explain what was going on. Surely, you know, there was in somebody should have come up with a plan of, okay, we're going to do it till, you know, the date and then we're going to patch it and we're going to come out afterwards. What if we don't have that luxury? What if we have to go out and explain what's going on? And that's the part that seemed a, a scramble. But, uh, you know, on, on the doomsday or, or concern day um, <laughs> that we're talking about, the, the thing that there's two core issues. One is that it's always hard to put value on something that you don't see, right? Um, you know, so to your point about the roads, you feel the paddle because you go over it all the time and you think about the damage on your tires and, and all the rest of it. You don't see what's broken in the cloud because you don't see it. You don't know what's there. And it's really hard for 
you know, somebody to get worked up in the same kind of way. And the other part is not only we went from computers being seen as a luxury to then, you know, being seen as a toaster, but, you know, from a government perspective and utility perspective and computing has always been about saving money, you know, trying to get what you need at the lowest possible cost. And that sometimes meant that, you know, upgrades to hardware and software were not seen as necessary or a priority because money had to spend be spent somewhere else. And I think that's what needs to to change. And I don't know that there is enough understanding. For Christ's sake, we still, you know, we're, we're still debating if it's a fact or not that there's global warming. So, you know, it, it, where do you go from there? Who do you get to understand how critical this infrastructure is until something goes was badly wrong. Yeah. yeah, it's uh I guess my last point on this will just be that that uh, what it, it's easy for us to be concerned about things like uh internet of things devices made by fly by night companies. It's another thing when there's a core fun, fundamental like engineering concept in chip design for years from all the major vendors that turns out to have a security flaw because we can talk about the higher standards and there are places where software is held to higher standards. Aerospace is a good example of that. But in the end, if they're using agreed upon decades old chip technology and those things also have these kind of flaws, this is that is a a, a, a bit of a concern, bit of a concern on concern day on 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 the discomfort day. Um, we have we, we will talk about Apple and its battery thingy. But before we do that, let me tell you about one of our sponsors <laughs> this week, because uh, we need to do that too. this episode of download brought to you in part by SaneBox. Uh, every person listening to the show probably has something they don't like about the email they receive or features that the email app they use have. Well, SaneBox is here to help bridge those gaps and solve those problems. Unfortunately, it's not practical to just do what I want to do every day, which is select all and hit the delete key. There's important stuff in there you need to deal with. The problem is it all looks the same. At a glance, it can be difficult to try and decipher which messages need your focus and which ones can be ignored or deleted um, or deferred. But guess what? Your email can be pre-sorted before it even hits your inbox. Imagine the only email that lands in your inbox is the stuff you need to see. That's what SaneBox is all about. It sorts through your email, moves all the trivial stuff to different folders. So the only messages in your inbox are the ones you need. And the great thing is it works on top of your current setup with any app, any provider. All the SaneBox magic happens before you see your email. SaneBox has a great feature called the black hole. If you find an email that you, I never want to see this kind of thing ever again, you move it into the black hole and you'll never hear from that sender ever again these great for those mailing lists that you keep unsubscribing to and they keep sending you mail anyway um, you can set up email reminders you can snooze your email get a little more organization in your inbox we have worked with sanebox to get you a great deal go to sanebox.com slash download today you'll get a two-week free trial and an extra 25 dollars credit just because you listen to download you don't have to enter credit card information unless you decide to buy so there's nothing to lose give it a try check it out today and get your email under control sanebox.com slash download that's s-a-n-e-b-o-x.com slash download okay speaking of apple's batteries apple had their uh, battery 
uh, kerfuffle where it, it was discovered that old batteries were um, causing Apple to crank down the speed of phones in order to keep them from spontaneously shutting down. Uh, it turns out batteries way more complicated and much less magical than tech companies, including Apple, would like us to believe. They're actually kind of messy. Um, Apple's response seems to have been to uh, disclose what they're doing, say that they're going to do an iOS update with more information, and offer a cut, cutting the cost of an iPhone battery replacement by $50 to $29, and letting anyone who wants one, they used to refuse you if they thought your, your battery was fine, and now they've said they will, even if you, you know, if you insist and they don't, they don't think it's a problem, it doesn't matter if you want them to replace their battery, they'll let you do it. Um, you know, the, I feel like the battery, initial battery thing's been litigated a lot. We can talk about it if you want, but I, I'm curious what your takes on how they responded to this, including cutting the, uh, cutting the price of the replacement and, and trying to be a little more open. It's kind of a little late in the game for that, but it seems like they're, uh, they're, this is their damage control strategy. Carolina, what do you think? I do think that they apologize for their poor communication rather than their choice of action uh, you know, in, in slowing down the phone to prolong actually the life of your battery and your experience, which is the right thing in my view. They uh, were not clear when this all happened back in February. Um, it was dubbed as a, a kind of a bug on some of the, the iPhone 6s. Um, and if you go and read some of the articles that were published there by iMore TechCrunch, you see that they talk about it in that respect of sudden shutdown of the phone. And then you go into the details and it's the same thing that we're talking about now. It was just not explained fully back then. Um, so I think that's the part where there needs to be um, kind of an apology of, of, of lack of transparency in, you know, there are batteries that have not been um, charged properly or um, you know, the phone has gone through uh, different uh, temperature spikes and so the battery has been damaged at some level and those devices are shutting down or the option is that we're going to slow down your performance and the the phone goes through the day. And I think that most consumers would choose option B, you know, between having a dead phone at midday and having something that is slower, which for most consumers you won't even notice um, because a lot of consumers, especially, you know, with consumers that have older phones might not actually drive a phone as hard as, you know, people with the, the latest and greatest Um I think most consumers would choose that. We went and looked at some of the data that we have from uh, consumer studies that we run uh, on a, a cyclical basis here in the U.S. And, and actually, um, as a reason to upgrade, which is what the big theory has always been, right? Apple is forcing you to get a new phone. That's really not why people are buying a new phone. Slow and, and, uh, uh, sluggish is not a reason why people feel they need to get a new phone. Uh, it's actually a much higher driver for Android user than it is iOS user. 
But nevertheless, you know, one is perception and one is, you know, now finding out that something is being done without your knowledge. And I think that's what upsets people. You remember when Apple uh, put the YouTube album in, in everybody's playlist and oh, yes. everybody got extremely mad, right? These things are personal. I don't want anybody else doing something on some, on something that I feel so close to me without me saying they can or they cannot. And I think that's where people get upset about the whole story. And then, you know, that it doesn't matter that they done right or, or wrong is I wasn't aware you were doing it. And as far as the, the $20, uh, $29 first came out with, um, you know, the genius bar still is going to say if your phone needs it or not. And then it became, no, everybody who wants one <laughs> yeah. can get one. And I think that's again, it is new Apple to me because that is, okay, we are not going to go through the, you know, you're holding it wrong, uh, stage that we've been through before, yeah. right? <laughs> Queen Antenna Gate. And oh, I remember that. <laughs> serious, serious shades of Antenna Gate here, where it's like, no, 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 we'll give you a bumper. And here it's like, look, okay, it's a $29 replacement. We'll, we'll, we're just going to say yes. And we're not going to tell you that you don't need it, right? Which was, Correct. That was, that was yeah, that was, uh, that was good da- damage control um, to say, no, 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 we're not going to have, because that, that is, that was already clearly going to become the next story is Apple it, wouldn't absolutely. replace my battery. Wouldn't they yeah. said, they told me they would and then they wouldn't. That's right. And, and so it's, you know, it is a less headache that they have to, to face. And of course, now the stories have become, okay, everybody now is going to go and, and update um, their battery and nobody's going to replace their phone. Uh, and I'm sure some will, but, you know, people replace phones for different reasons than not just because the phone is low. I think Carolina's point about how consumers don't necessarily care about the technical explanation of what they care about is that someone chose to do something to a piece of very personal tech without their consent. I think that's, I think that's actually the, the sticking point that more companies would do well to heed. Uh, when you think about the arc of security stories over the last year, um, the thing that people got so worked up over with both Yahoo and Experian was the idea that there was just a lot of secrecy and it was doing things to their accounts that they didn't know about. And I wonder if tech companies honestly don't understand or don't care about um, the way that people actually come to regard the hardware and the software that they consider part of their everyday life, from their phones to their tablets to their computers um, to their software setups to their electronic assets. When a company comes in and changes something for it could be a good security reason or it could be a good technical reason. But the fact is if they do it without your consent, it disturbs people because they see it as akin to somebody coming in and rearranging their furniture without their consent or coming in and cleaning out their fridge without their consent. And I'm not sure tech companies quite understand the emotional relationship people do have to their technology and the sense of ownership that they feel. Um, from a from an IT or from a business perspective, putting things in the cloud is like, oh, we have all of our assets here, we can manipulate them, we can organize them, that's fine. But from a user perspective, that their stuff doesn't exist in the cloud, their stuff has been downloaded. And as far as they're concerned, it's theirs, because they can see it, and it's local, and they can take it with them. Um, and sometimes they can go back to the cloud and get it. But the fact is, it's theirs. And so when they get a reminder, it's otherwise, there's a lot of hostility, you know, per the U2 thing, or per my personal pet peeve about Amazon changing book 
covers on you, which I will oh, never yeah. let go. I will never <laughs> let that go. I hate that they do that without my consent. I hate that I don't get asked about it. I hate I don't get notified about it's, that. It's amazing how that comes up every time you're on this podcast, but it's like, somebody out there at Amazon listening? Come on. I hope they are. Um, but you're, no, you're right. It's that, it's that attachment to, to our technology and it's disclosure. Like the, the, this story, look, Apple wants everything to be, uh, in the black box and, and not, not understood. So they've got, uh, they, they had the sh- sudden shutdown problem and they're like, Oh, we need to fix that. That's really bad. And that's making people angry. Um, the problem is, is that, uh, you know, you didn't have, it wasn't widely known and it wasn't disclosed. And so not only is that kind of fundamentally bad, I think that people don't know what's going on in their own devices, but it also meant that whenever there was troubleshooting from people like us, from people at Apple retail stores, nobody knew <laughs> that this is why your phone was slowing down and everybody else is trying to come up with other reasons why. And it turns out people inside Apple on the technical side uh, had made this decision, which might have been a perfectly reasonable decision, and nobody else really understood that it was going on. And that that is that's really bad. Um, and to a point Carolina made earlier, um, you know, this is sort of a new Apple that learned some lessons of past things like antenna gate but it does really show the tension between the two parts of apple because i do believe that at sort of apple central apple corporate there's this belief that uh they want to take care of the customers and they want customers to have good experiences with their phones but at apple retail how could they not be um given incentives to sell more new phones instead of fixing old phones right like it i'm sure the incentives that they're given have always been about new phones sales and not about extending the life of old phones and you know i i've i think we saw the conflict right here which is you know uh, people at the the guy your apple store does not want to replace your battery he wants to sell you a brand new phone right well the thing is is company yeah companies don't have monolithic objectives i mean all all, different departments are going to have different things going on and so from an engineering perspective you're like oh replace battery battery management power management is the thing and from a sales perspective you're like no moving product is the thing and from a marketing perspective you're busy yes consumers feel 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 bonded to your products they're yours they're an extension of you and your personality and you think about all of those are working across purposes when something like this happens you know Right. It's totally yours, but you did agree to that license that it's totally not yours. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's no, and that's Apple's black box philosophy is, you yeah. know, it's magic. It's, it is why they've gotten where I would argue where they've gotten where they are, which is how do we make this incredibly complicated technology seem simple and friendly? That's like the core of it. This is where it bites them is it turns out it's not that simple. It's just not. And the, you know, the veil gets dropped, the black box cracks and you're left with this question like well wait a second you know what do you mean the battery doesn't behave like a gas tank which is kind of the metaphor that everybody likes to use and it, and it doesn't it doesn't behave that way the same is true i talked to somebody uh years ago about how the iphone charges and you know the iphone when it says it's 100 percent, a lot of times it's not at 100 percent. that's a lie and they do it because it would be really bad if they kept your battery topped off at 100 percent when it's when your phone is plugged in and so they let it cycle down to 90 or something and then they they charge it back up and they let it sort of cycle in there, but they just say it's 100% in full because people got mad when they woke up in the morning, unplugged their phone, and saw that it was at 94%. Um, and again, is that fraud? No, it's trying to, it's like consumer psychology, but it also <laughs> is like when people find out they're going to feel betrayed, even though, you, you know, the reasoning was not necessarily bad, it's still, it's their device and they feel betrayed That's by right. it. That's right. 
So it cuts yeah. both ways. But I do think that they learned a lot as, as far as not... If you look at the wording that they used, in nowhere they said, you charge your battery wrong, which right. is kind of what it is, right? In, in, ter- in respect to, or, you know, you didn't really look after your phone as much as you should have had and you left it in a, you know, car at 115 degrees in Texas or whatever. Um, but... Uh, the the other side of it is that we don't think, and it's, this is linked to what we were saying earlier, right? We don't actually think about technology that way, right? We don't think that these things that we carry around in our pocket or purse every day are actually sensitive pieces of technology. Um, you know, unless the, the only thing we're so concerned about is the screen, right? Is dropping it for the the cracking the screen. But we are really not that concerned about what happens if, you know, I leave it in the car at night and it, the temperature goes below zero or what happens if I did drop it 15 times. I was lucky never broke the screen. But that doesn't mean that the phone is not damaged. Well, uh, uh, yeah, what a world we live in. Both of these topics that we've had so far, it's so much of what, what the strange world we live in where um, where this computer stuff is is swallowing the entire world. And then and now all the things that we all knew were problems with the reliability um, of, of computer hardware and software um, 15 years ago uh, that not everybody knew, but now everybody else is forced to deal with it too. This is the world we live in. Um, let's take a break and then we have one more topic, which is a big one. It's 2018. Um, but for First, let me tell you about our second sponsor. It's Squarespace. Enter offer code download FM at checkout and you will get 10% off your first purchase. So you should make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. They have uh, they will get you a unique domain so you can you can get your own domain. They have award-winning templates for you to use. You don't need to be a designer. There's a whole lot more, no matter what you want to create. So you might want to open an online store, they have commerce features. You might want to show off your portfolio of things you've created. You might want to create a blog or a podcast. There are so many different things you can create on the internet, on the web, using Squarespace. It'll look great. It'll look professional. And you don't need to be a system administrator. And you also don't need to be a web designer. It's an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about. You don't have to worry about all of these scary uh, bug reports that come out because you know Squarespace is going to handle that part for you. All you need to do is focus on your website. Nothing to install. Um, uh, 24-7 24-7 customer support, by the way, at Squarespace. Award-winning support. They are excellent people. So if you need help using any of the features of Squarespace, they're there to help you 24-7. If you're up at 3 in the morning, guess what? Somebody from Squarespace will be there to help you. They let you quickly and easily get that unique domain name, the perfect domain name for whatever your project is. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Plans start at just $12 a month. It's mind-boggling for all that you get for $12 a month. And you can try it out without giving them a credit card or anything like that by going to squarespace.com. So when you decide to sign up because you say, this is amazing, use the offer code download FM. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and Squarespace will know that you like us here at download, which we appreciate. Thank you, Squarespace, for your support. Squarespace, make your next move make your next website. Now it's time for the story you might have missed. It's a story that may have flown under your radar, but might be worth mentioning. Speaking of internet of things and disappointing consumers, this is a trend today. Wow. Uh, Auto was a smart lock company, uh, but it is suspending operations after a failed acquisition agreement left the group with no cash. The auto lock was going to cost 
$699. I don't think they had shipped any products yet, but they had, there, there had been testing and, and, and promotion. It was perhaps the most attractive smart lock on the market, although, of course, for $700, very pricey. They were going to ship in a few weeks. Those locks may never see the light of day. They're apparently sitting in a warehouse somewhere, but because, of course, they're connected to a cloud system. And if the company that makes your lock goes out of business, you don't have a lock anymore. Not great. It is better that they close up shop now, I will say, than after they shipped everybody their locks and they installed their locks and then the locks all got bricked or presumably not bricked entirely, but turned back into dumb locks, $700 dumb locks that don't wow. attach to the Oh, cloud. I'd be so mad if that were the case. <laughs> anyway, it's still not a great story, but at least it could it could have been worse. So there, you might have missed that. Now you know all about auto. Uh, Topic number three for us is a broad one, and I just wanted to get both of your uh, takes on what do you think we should be looking for in 2018 or something that might be coming up? The trends of 2018. Now, you're not going to get scored on this, probably, <laughs> but um, I, am, I am curious, uh, you know, what your, uh, what your thoughts are about where we should be looking, what we, what we think we need to look out for in the year ahead. Uh, Lisa, let's start with you. <laughs> you know, I used to run a feature at an old employer where I would actually score analyst predictions by going Whoa. in. Well, I don't know. It's, it's t- this is why I'll never ever be able to like make the leap from media to analysis like I I, sh- I want to. Um <laughs> long memories. Uh I um think so I've been looking through the flood of CES press releases that I have trying to figure out um if there's anything to keep an eye on. So so I'll start there and then move out to bigger trends. Um and the thing that I'm really intrigued by this year is the rise in translation devices. Um everybody wants a babble fish and I'm super curious to see if this is going to be kind of a one and done thing, the same way that sleep technology w- w- went through CES like two years ago, now you almost never hear about stuff to stick under your mattress or stuff to stick in your pillow and all those all those smart sleep devices, which which have kind of receded, or if um, the idea behind all these translation devices, many of which are tied to the cloud it all comes together. Um, <laughs> or if we're actually seeing the beginning of um, a product category that um, will have some sort of staying power. Uh, but if you wanted to talk larger industry trends, I think the security tsunami that started last year is going to pick up momentum this year, especially since, you know, as, as I pointed out earlier, we have such a, a a mixed bag in terms of computing environment and hardware and software and how it's all supposed to go together. It's never going to be perfectly secure. And as more and more of our daily life becomes more and more dependent on other people's best practices in IT, um, <laughs> that is going to come back to bite in some pretty significant ways. Um, I also think that one of the things we should keep more of an eye out for is an increased push among hardware uh, makers towards uh, the post keyboard computing experience. Uh, we've seen, uh, we, you know, we, we. I think it's significant that you know during a lot of uh, during the last big uh, MacBook announcement for Apple, which was what two years ago at this point, last September, it, it all runs together. But a lot of people are like, we don't have a touchscreen computer yet. This is kind of ridiculous, and. Um, I think you're going to see more and more hardware manufacturers who are like, yeah, we're all used to swiping and pinching and zooming and using styluses and having a keyboard should not be a prerequisite for having a full-fledged computer experience. So I think you're going to see those two things. Um, 
I don't think it's going to be a year of reckoning per se for social media, uh, but I do think this may be a year where we get to start watching user trends to see how people's relationship to things like Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram to, to see how those user, user usage trends shift, because I, th- I think we are going to see that we're going to see some significant movement, especially in younger demographics. So those are those are areas I'm keeping an eye on for the year. Fantastic, Carolina, you're you're the professional analyst. Uh, I've never, I, I've well, never scored you. I don't you. know if I want to speak now, but I know that Lisa's <laughs> no, no. taking time. I've, I've, I've never scored you. I've this isn't being recorded anyway. It's fine. We won't be able to go back and listen to this later. It's, it's fine. I, I agree on the social media. So um, that was one of my uh, kind of topic on the list and, and really looking at um, uh, this, you know, 2007, uh, seven, 17 was so big as far as uh, giving a voice to people and silencing altogether, right? In in a lot of uh, um, Twitter and, and uh, Facebook and fake news and all this. And I wonder if that is going to get people in 2018 to be a bit more selective as far as their use of social media and kind of anecdotally over the holidays talking to friends. There was a lot of, you know, New Year resolution of spending less time on a screen in general and, and spending more time in the moment. Um, so that I'll be curious to see. I don't think it's going to be, uh, like Lisa said, I don't think it's still the year of reckoning, but uh, I am, I'd be surprised if we don't see some shifts on what type of media, um, especially millennials and, and Gen Z before them start to be a bit more selective in using. Um, voice is the other big one is not just the assistant, but I think, you know, voice UI, um, is going to become way more pervasive than it is now, especially within the home. And I think that will bring, um, a necessity of not calling everything an assistant, because I think that is disingenuous because not everything that I can summon with my voice is an assistant. Um, you know, and, and a lot of time is, is more of a crutch that is going to help me go through a really painful design UI. Um, and so I think if you think about Roku announcing, uh, this week that they'll have voice enabling, um, software rolling out later in the year, uh, LG has talked about having uh, a speaker, but also a soundbar for their TV. So we'll see more of that and we'll start with CES. How consumers are going to um, respond to it, I think, remains interesting because we might end up having a very, very noisy environment um, in, in our home that it, it does less than what we were hoping and is more annoying than anything else. So that's another one. Um, from technology perspective, you know, as much as we've been talking about AR and VR, I still think that 2018 is going to be a long way away from uh, kind of mass market um, 
embracing of these technologies. Uh, we'll see more on AR, and I'm definitely continue to remain more bullish on augmented reality that I have VR. Um, if my experience over the holiday, I, I wrote my column about this for Tech Pinions this week, my mixed reality uh, trial. It was painful. You know, I really wanted to try this thing because I, I don't think a normal consumer would have gone through, you know, two hours of, of software updates and, and finding the right uh, dongle to play. And and what was a, a kind of a, a very interesting um, point to, to see how far we are yet from this technology was to actually watch my 10-year-old who could happily leave 12 hours glued to a screen playing Minecraft or, or something else, but could not spend more than half an hour, 40 minutes with this headset on her face. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and that to me was interesting because it points to the 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 different position of I can be glued to a screen and ignore my mom who's been calling me for the past 15 minutes because I very good at that. <laughs> Uh, because it's my choice, right? I I ignore. I choose to ignore the world around me, and I'm consumed and immersed in my screen. Versus this headset is keeping me from the world around me, and I'm not as comfortable doing it for a long period of time. And I think until we crack that, which is why I think AR is better because it doesn't shut you down that much. Um, I don't see how VR can become this holy grail of, you know, especially on, on the Microsoft side where they think you'll live with something strapped on your head and you'll do Excel in mixed reality and, and all of that. I, I don't buy that yet. So I still feel that vendors will play and, and, uh, and try different things, but consumer will sit tight and, and continue to watch before they make the leap. I've always felt terribly vulnerable with VR headsets on because I don't know what's no, because I yeah. don't know what's going on in my I don't know what's going on in my physical environment. And I have to pay a lot of attention to make sense and interact in my virtual environment. And um I can't speak for anybody else, but I don't particularly care for any class of consumer good that's going to make me feel like somebody could sneak up behind me and bop me on the head without my knowledge. <laughs> True. No kidding. Well, no, it's, it's, no, and, and Carlina, you talk about your, your daughter's immersive experience. I mean, part of that is she has the choice to tune, to tune you out. Um, right. It's not a good choice, but it's a choice, right? And she maintains some control over both her physical environment and her mental environment that way. And with virtual reality or an immersive, an immersive reality experience, I don't see where the people who have designed that experience have found a way to give back that sense of control to people yet. Every time I've tried it, I've all, again, I've always felt at the mercy of somebody else en- engineering a tech experience. It reminds me a lot, not a lot, but it reminds me a little bit of using CD-ROMs way back when and thinking the only thing I can explore or deep dive on are things that somebody has already thought out and predetermined. I'm at the mercy of somebody else's decisions and interface here. And I I suspect that's why the World Wide Web took over as your hyperlinked and augmented experiences, because it was a lot more user-driven. And we'll we'll need to see that acknowledgement of control in an augmented or VR environment before it really turns into something that 
people start incorporating into their daily environment. For my part, I'm going to I'm going to throw out two that are I think fairly obvious, but I th- I think they're just going to continue to magnify. One is what we talked about earlier, which is huge security flaws that expose data and that threaten to or perhaps actually do break big parts of our infrastructure. And the other one is social media. I feel like we're we are coming to a uh, decision point in social media where uh, either we're going to break it or it's going to break us or maybe a little bit of both where coming into um you know into 2018 uh people are starting to ask lots of questions about how social media shapes our world and the social media companies that have been sort of like quietly in the background letting us destroy ourselves while they make money are being questioned about it um and so i i feel like that's going to come to a head and more generally i feel like questions about how this technology industry is affecting everything in our world are going to even more than they have already get the attention of governments and make things really uncomfortable in terms of uh, more hearings and more threatened regulations and things like that. I I feel like that that is a it's in the water. It's going to happen. Well, you have Facebook enabling advertisers to discriminate. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the this is this is where. Yeah, this is the the kind of stuff that I feel like in 2018 is going to become a bigger a bigger deal. But we'll see. You know, know, we'll probably be caught by surprise. That's the beauty of it. That's why we uh, that's why everybody scores predictions at the end of the year, because (laughs) no. Nobody can really predict what will happen. We're always going to be taken by surprise. Now, this is the part in the show where I usually give a new feature that we're starting, which is the Fuzzy Puppy update, where we say something that makes you feel happy because (laughs) the news has been so terrible. I feel like the last segment was not quite as terrible and it didn't get you down. So I'm going to bring you Mm -hmm. down with what to look out for in the week ahead first before getting the Fuzzy Puppy update, because there will be a consumer electronics show held in a wretched hive of scum and villainy and many things (laughs) will be announced and we will talk about them next week. Oh boy, now that I've been brought down by the existence of CES, uh, let's, let me tell you about the Fuzzy Poppy updates. Airlines recorded zero accident deaths in commercial passenger jets last year, according to a Dutch, a Dutch consulting firm and an aviation safety group that tracks crashes, making 2017 the safest year on record for commercial air travel. There are a lot of asterisks here. Charters don't count. Uh, jet, non-jets, turboprops and things like that aren't in this study. So there were aviation fatalities last year, but it was basically the safest year on record. And uh, the in the U.S., um, there hasn't been a major passenger jet fatality in many years now. And the point, I think, is, and this is why it's a fuzzy puppy update, we, and we could talk about global poverty, and there are a bunch of other stats, too, where we get so focused on all of the bad things that are going on around us that sometimes we miss those places that just keep incrementally ratcheting up the safety or the quality or the standard of living. And so let's mention one, which is commercial air travel is as safe as it's ever been and keeps getting safer. And that's cool, regardless of who uh, who takes credit for it or because some people do. Some people take credit for things and uh also regardless of the details of well actually there's this one and there was this crash and this one person died let's look at the big picture here also i'll put a show uh, link in the show notes to an instagram post of a dog who uh, took herself sledding she would carry the sled up the hill in her mouth and then stand on it and sled back down it's great it'll it make is. you feel happy Good doggy yeah it's good for a soul and you gotta have a fuzzy puppy so that brings us to the end of download carolina where can people find the stuff that you do 
They can find me on Twitter at Caro underscore Milanese, and they can find my column uh, every Wednesday on tech.pinions.com. And Lisa Schmeiser, where can people find the stuff that you do? Well, I'm, I'm still on Twitter, L-S-C-H-M-E-I-S-E-R, and I link to all of my work from there. Great. And I am Jason Snell. You can find me at Snell on Twitter, and Stephen Hackett is ISMH on Twitter, and he is in bed right now. Until next week, when CES will be in the headlines. Oh, boy. Uh, we'll be watching the headlines, so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. 